what I want to do is take your attention in Scripture. We're going to look at the book of John. And we're going to look at the disciple named Andrew this morning. And in John chapter 1, verse 35, we're going to see the story of Andrew. It's kind of an introduction. And we can find Andrew several times in Scripture. Not, not a lot, but he's mentioned four or five times in Scripture, mostly as just a description as a disciple. Now, he is an apostle. Now, I believe he became an apostle after Christ left this planet, uh, but he was a disciple until then, because he's introduced here as Jesus uh, when he started selecting those that followed him. A disciple is someone who follows Christ. An apostle was there with Christ. That's the big difference. Again, next, the next day, verse 35, again the next day after John stood, that's John the Baptist, and then you'll find that Andrew and his brother followed John the Baptist originally. They were disciples of John the Baptist. And it's interesting here what John the Baptist says the minute he sees Jesus Christ. Again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and he looked upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And that's got an explanation point on it. He didn't just say, behold the Lamb of God. He yelled it. He was noted for being a, a preacher of sound renown, and he wasn't afraid to voice his opinion. He wasn't afraid because it wasn't really his opinion. It was God the Father's word coming through John the Baptist. And he says, behold the Lamb of God. Now that takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, if you're here on Sunday nights, we're talking in Genesis chapter 3 about the fall of mankind and when the lambs were slain and made into skins to cover mankind's sin, that's where we see the first demonstration of the lamb being slain. Uh, blood needed to cover the atonement for sin. And so we see that demonstrated in Genesis chapter 3 and John the Baptist understood that. It was handed down each generation. And it was in Scripture, if you look for it. And there he found that, and he said he knew who the Lamb of God was. Now, you know, uh, an interesting point there is John the Baptist was three months older than Jesus Christ. And John the Baptist was Jesus Christ's cousin. They played games together. They grew up learned how to use a hammer and a they didn't have, well, they had nails then, but they were mostly wooden nails. But they grew up and learned to play and do carpentry work together from time to time. Their mothers were good friends, best friends. You read Luke chapter 2 and you'll find out how close they were. In Matthew chapter 3, I believe it is, you'll find out how close they were as cousins. But yet he humbled himself as we went through Sunday school lesson this morning, wonderful Sunday school lesson, and Brother Russell, I put the clock on the back wall. <laughs> I know he was looking for it for a minute there, and I said, I says, oh, no. And I'm in a, I got a bigger one in my office. We'll put it up there a little bigger. And uh, nothing to do with the time, but I just wanted you to know where it was. <laughs> but he said, behold the Lamb of God. He knew the individual in front of him, although he grew up with him, he had the Holy Spirit upon him, upon his ministry, upon his message to the people. And as soon as Jesus Christ showed up, he could not hold himself. He had to announce him as the Son of God. Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. 
wasn't a childhood game they were playing. It was the real thing standing before him. You're going to be confronted sometime in your life with the real thing, every one of you. God doesn't let everybody just go on in, in this world and, and not bring a message to them, especially in America. You're going to have an opportunity to trust Christ as your personal Savior. You're going to have an opportunity to make that choice. And it's going to be delivered to you by any number of individuals, by the Word of God, because my Bible says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so somebody's going to say, behold the Lamb of God. It might be a TV preacher. It might be this preacher. It might be one of these people in this congregation. It might be anyone that God so chooses to bring you the Word of God. It might be something you picked up and read, because after all, it may be it'll contain enough of the Word of God that you can reason within yourself and make that decision. But every one of you are going to have in your lifetime someone or something present God as the Lamb to you, if you're living in America especially. Now, God talks to each one of us, and he uses people like John the Baptist. He uses everybody. We're going to see just in a moment who he used here in a moment. Let's read on. Then Jesus turned and saw them following him and saith unto them, What seek ye? That's what Christ said. They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? And there we have another example of Scripture. The best interpreter of Scripture is more scripture. The best interpreter isn't I, your pastor, or me, your pastor, whichever way you want to go with the English language. It isn't the deacon. It isn't Dr. Slipjaw. It isn't Dr. Deeper Than Deep and Upper Than Up. It is scripture. You want to know what the Bible says about something? Read the Bible. It interprets itself. There's a book out now by Gail Ripplinger. It's talked how the Bible is its own dictionary. And I, I almost believe most of it. It defines itself. You get a word in there you don't understand, keep reading. It'll tell you what that word is sooner or later. You're getting that from somebody who's got a doctor's degree, but the three hardest years of my life was third grade. I had to read my Bible over and over again to understand it. And so you will understand more of God's word as you dwell within it as you study it, as you read it yourself. It says, He saith unto him, Come, this is Jesus, and see. Then came and saw where they, he dwelt, and he and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two that's, which heard him spake and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother, Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah. The Messiah, that means the coming Lamb, the coming Savior. That means the word Messiah means Savior, and that entitles not just a physical Savior. It entitles a spiritual Savior, a complete Savior. We have found the, the Savior, which is being interpreted Christ. See, we use the word Jesus, and it gets thrown around quite a bit. And you might even get somebody who's pretty wicked to say God or Jesus. But Christ carries a little more value than that. Christ carries a little more value than that. Jesus Christ is God the Father's son. And they identified and found the Christ. And he 
brought him to Jesus. Verse 42, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. What do you know that? The Bible's interpreting itself again. Yeah, we've learned how, what Cephas is. We learned a bunch of stuff here already. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which is lost. Let's pause for a minute and say a prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the message you put on my heart this morning. I ask that you calm our minds and our places that we uh, have worries and distractions, and I just thank you for these fine people here, and I just ask that you make your message clear to each one of us. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so we see in point one of my message, Simon, or Andrew, brought someone he loved. Who did he bring him to? Jesus Christ. When you accept Christ as your personal Savior, and this is also, i got three points to this message, and the first point is salvation. We're touching on that right now. We have the Christ standing before you, and you'll have an opportunity right now this morning to know if you're saved or not, to get right with your Maker, to accept Christ as your personal Savior. That's before you right now in the message of Andrew. Andrew brought his brother to Christ. How did he react? He already understood Christ. He knew what Christ is about. Behold, I found the, found the Messiah. He knew what this story was about. So what did he do? He went and got someone he loved and brought them to Jesus Christ. That's the first step in your salvation. You're saved to save. You're saved to serve. Andrew served his maker by telling someone else about Jesus Christ. Well, who did he go to? Someone he loved. You should want to share Christ with those in your family. You should want to tell others that you love, you care about. Aren't those the easiest ones to talk to? Well, I don't know. You don't know my wife or you don't know my husband. Well, you know, if you truly love them, you're going to want what's best for them. Sort of like that old medicine, you know, where my dad used to take that big old razor strap off the wall and so this is going to hurt you more than it does me. Snap, snap, and boy, it, it already hurt. And he, he felt bad. One time I caught him with a couple of tears in his eyes. But I got the welts anyway. And uh, if you really love someone, you want what's best for them. And believe me, I, when he took that strap off the wall, I more than deserved it. <laughs> the best for me was to avoid that strap and to avoid the things that caused that pain and suffering. If you're worried about anybody close to you, you don't want them to go to hell when they die. And there is a hell. As sure as that Bible's written, there's a hell and there's a heaven. The first step in believing that there's a God. And so you accept Christ as your personal Savior. You, you've had that privilege. You've had that thing happen in your life. You've had come to recognition with your Creator. Don't you want to share that with someone? Someone you love. Andrew did, and his brother followed Christ too. It was a disciple. We see Andrew again here in chapter 6, verse 8. Let's go to 6, verse 8 of John. John chapter 6, verse 8. One of the disciples, 8, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, 
very specific. When the Bible repeats itself, it does, when God repeats himself in his word, he does it for three reasons. He does it for clarity, he does it for emphasis, and he does it for, there's another C, but I don't always get it. Uh, clarity, emphasis, and recognition, we'll call it today, recognition. You just imagine your son coming close to the fire, uh, to, a, to a hot stove, or, or your daughter going to pick up a hot, uh, something hot off the oven, and you go off the fire, off the burner. We'll get that right. And you go, stop, sis, stop. You already said it twice. And then if she doesn't react, it's, stop, sis, stop. Emphasis. And then if the third time you're going at it, it's, it's, stop, sis, I'm your dad. I know what's best for you. Don't touch it. I baked it. I burnt it. It's no good. Don't waste your time with it. That's happened in our house a few times. But it's clarity of who sent the message. Clarity was that last C. So uh, when Jesus repeats himself, we're going to see here one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother, there's a repeat, saith unto him, there is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. And now there was much grass in the place, so that men sat down, and the number was about 5,000. 5,000 people in the grass. Boy, somebody had control of this situation, didn't they? You ever see 5,000 people eat? I've been to some fellowships that had 5,000. I've been to a fellowship in Oklahoma where they could feed 5,000 men and let them even get seconds in 20 minutes. They had big troughs full of food, <laughs> and you just walk through. How do you feed? How do you prepare all the, all the things that have to go in, all the supplies? Then you walked over to another big horse trough, literally, and you could pull out a pop, whatever flavor you wanted, ice cold in there. <laughs> the preparation, the planning. Nothing happens by accident in God's eyes. There was a place already for those people to sit down, and 5,000 is just the men in that culture. Men are all they counted. They had wives, and they had children, and they had grandchildren. Anybody who wasn't a married male at the time was one of the 5,000. Can you imagine how many people were actually there? Oh, how could they hear them without, you know, this stuff here? Well, you ever been over there? The Sermon on the Mount, you can walk down halfway down the hill where the Sermon on the Mount takes place. The tour guide will do it. I haven't been there, but I've been told. And the tour guide will take you about, he'll tell you to stand on the hill, and he'll walk down halfway and yell, or he'll, tell, he'll stand on the hill, and he'll let you walk halfway down it, and he'll, He'll say something. He'll tell you when to stop. And you've already stopped, turned around, and he's 300 feet away. It's because in God's concept, when he built this planet, when he put, put, put this plan into, into action, he prepared a hill, and he uh, prepared the acoustics so they were perfect. You can go to the mount right now and try it out. You can hear clear down. You can clear hear six, 700 feet. You couldn't never play football because they'd hear the huddle. They would. That's how it's made. And so all this took place. God was in control. And what did Andrew do? He found, he found and brought 
a boy to Jesus. He brought someone he loved, and he brought someone he found. I didn't meet most of you until just a few months ago. I've seen some of you, and we did meet a few times in the past summers. But I got a lot of friends in this room. I've got a lot of friends. I consider you friends, most of you. I don't know about Lincoln there. He, he falls asleep when I preach. I don't know if he's my friend or not. I'm just teasing, Brother Lincoln. Uh, I've got friends. Andrew found someone and brought him to Christ. I bet you that guy, that little boy with the fishes, is Andrew's friend yet today. He brought a friend to Jesus. He brought somebody he found to Jesus. The second step in your Christian growth is service. Service. Real complicated. Oh, does, oh I'm not going to, I don't want to surrender to God my life. And, and maybe he, all he wants you to do is be good at what you're already doing and know that Jesus Christ is king. He might want you to surrender and do something else. I don't know. But you've got to be willing to take that step. You've gotten saved now. Now let's take the step of service. One of the simplest things you can do after you tell someone you love is tell your friend, bring them to Christ. If you don't know one, find someone, bring them to Christ. They'll end up being your friend. I got a friend I visited two weeks ago I hadn't seen in, oh, probably 15, 20 years. Come on in, Brother Roy. He didn't even recognize me for a little while, and he says, sit down. He said, you lost some weight. I says, yeah, no, I didn't. <laughs> he, said, he says, sit down. I says, don't you remember me? Well, he'd been through a lot of medical problems. And he's, uh, he said to me, you were my pastor. And I says, yeah, Brother Frank, and you've heard the story. I baptized him in freezing water. I couldn't even remember his name at the time. Of course, that's nothing new. Most of you know I have trouble remembering names. But I baptized Brother Frank. I sat down in his house. He said, anything you want, anything I can do for you. I had a friend. I introduced him to Jesus Christ. In my life, if I go to that town tomorrow and my car breaks down, which it has a problem with, my, my truck broke down again, uh, my car breaks down, I can give Frank a call and he'll do whatever he can for me. He didn't, he didn't know me from anybody until he accepted Christ as his personal Savior. Brother Frank, that was. So, in my steps of being obedient to God, I got saved and I did some service. And it's still paying back. I don't know what he wants you to do, who he wants you to recognize, who he wants you to speak to, but he wants you to do some service for him. The next thing he's going to ask from you is sacrifice. Ooh, wow. Okay, let's see what Andrew did. Let's go to 635. No, 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 that's not going to work. I'm going to go back to uh, the next stop. The next time Andrew shows up. And I will give you the verse, because my marker's laying right here. 12, 20, and 22. 
John chapter 12, 20 and 22. John chapter 12, 20 and 22. And Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. He had the sacrifice. He was going to be identified with the, with a person, uh, interpreted very loosely, an individual that the religious community had condemned, that the Roman citizens would, sh uh, the Roman government would soon condemn. And Andrew was going to be identified with those. He brought someone to Christ there, didn't he? You see the rest of the story? He didn't just come up and they said, Jesus, uh, it's going to be glorified. He, uh, he brought some strangers to them. And the Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, Perceive ye now, ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came thereof to Philip, which was of Bethesda of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we should see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, because he knew Andrew was the kind of guy who would take them to Jesus. I got a phone call. We got a text. What, yesterday? About 7 o'clock, some guy come into the port, uh, Thorn Bay, and needed a ride to church. Turns out Brother McCoy got the same text or something similar. Somebody knew that Brother McCoy would take somebody to Jesus or do what he could to get somebody to Jesus. He would sacrifice, and I believe your son's coming this afternoon to get him. They'll may possibly hook up. I already called the fella. He, his phone isn't working. That's nothing new on this island, but I tried. I got a call from Brother Pence right here. Remote Alaskan missionaries. He contacted me. I shouldn't say call. Did what I could. I was willing to sack. I says, man, it's going to be getting up an hour and a half over to Thorn Bay, and then an hour and a half to here. We got up at 7 o'clock, or 5 o'clock, really. It's easier when we're used to the old time, state time. But we got up. We were around. It's daylight. I can't sleep much past daylight anyway. Uh, and I give him a call at 7. Nope, I couldn't get them. But I, it was a sacrifice. God was asking me for a sacrifice. Simple little sacrifice. It really, you know, it isn't a big, well, that's your job. Oh, yeah, that's my job, huh? Okay. <laughs> it might not be in my job description, or it may be in my job description. But it might be in your job description, too, if you're on tune with God. You will be called on to make a sacrifice for God, whether it's picking up, somebody down the street or hour and a half in Thorn Bay or whatever from where I was, okay? Uh, Thorn Bay is about an hour here from what I think. Don't, don't quote me on that. I'm still pretty new. But it's a sacrifice running around Sunday morning before church. It's a sacrifice going out of your way to hand a track to somebody at the restaurant in town. It's a sacrifice sometimes to stand up and say, I'm not coming in on Sunday mornings anymore. I'll be here Sunday afternoon or I'll be here all day Monday, whatever. Sometimes it's a sacrifice. 
Uh, I don't know what the Lord's calling you to do. I don't know what kind of sacrifice he wants you to make. You could delay any sacrifice by just getting saved or not even getting saved. Then he, wouldn't, then he wouldn't ask you for service, would he? If you're not saved, then you're not going to have to make a sacrifice, right? You're going to have to wait for somebody else to make the sacrifice to help you get saved or, or at least tell you about it, right? You're going to let God work in your life and you become a Christian. And he's going to call you for salvation. And I've had the opportunity to see many people come to the Lord. And you can struggle with that. And you can, you can work with that. And God is patient, and he'll deal with you with that. I've had the privilege to pray with men and say to them and ask them to pray, God, make yourself real to me. That was a sacrifice on my part, really, because I wanted to see him saved. But I knew the best thing for them Maybe me plant the seed. Maybe me let them know that Jesus Christ is there. That there's a God in heaven. You know, let's face it, we're in a society now where things are pretty far apart and things aren't quite like they used to be as far as being able to tell people about Christ. It might be just a sacrifice to tell someone about Christ for the sinner. But God wants you to yield yourself to him. Big things, little things. There was somebody here in church that picked up somebody here and, and took somebody there already this morning. I'm sure it was much more convenient to sit here and, and enjoy the wonderful climate, although it is a little warm, enjoy the piano playing and the other musical instruments. It, but they got up and they trotted off with some children and took them home and came back. Sacrifice. I don't know what he wants you to do today. I don't know what he wants to do in your life, but he's going to want you to serve if you're saved, and he's going to want some sacrifice sooner or later. If you love him, keep my commandments, he says. If you love me, show it. If you go to James chapters 1 and 2 and 3, and all you see is salvation and work, or work, 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 we're not trying to confuse you with that. I'm just trying to encourage you to look at what God has for you in your life today and where he wants you to be and what he wants you to do and how he wants you to do it. The answers are all there in your Bible. Let's all stand. Mrs. Anania, you want to come up and play something? The Lord is good. Andrew. We don't hear a whole lot about Andrew. The... The uh, traditions, church traditions, and I use the term rather loosely, church tradition says they hung him on a cross and they didn't want to pierce his hands or his arms because he'd die sooner, so they tied him on a cross. They, tied, they tortured him and tied him on a cross. Now the whole system of the cross and dying on the cross is an exercise where your hands are elevated above your head and you're stretched out, and anatomically, you cannot breathe until you raise yourself up. You raise yourself up and slide up and down on that wooden tree, and the whip marks rub into the tree as you raise yourself up and lower yourself to breathe. Eventually, you die of suffocation on the cross. So they tied him there in public humility, called him for the ultimate sacrifice, but he was ready for it. 
He was ready for that sacrifice because he'd already served God. He was saved. He served God, and he already had made some sacrifices. It was all done. He was on his way to heaven. Where are you with God's plan in your life? What does God want for you in your life today? What is he asking in here? What is he whispering in your ear? What is he holding on your shoulder? What is he telling you in, your ha- in, his, in, in the quiet time you have alone with him? Seek and see what God wants you to do. And if you don't know anything about this plan, if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, you're missing out. Andrew had something to die for. He also had something to live for. He was complete with his Savior. He was right with his maker. Are you? Are you?